Okay, so he's going to wipe away every tear. He's already wiping away mine. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne, and he still is, behold, I'm making all things new. Write these words down, for they're trustworthy and they're true. John's rapping here, right? All things new, trustworthy, true. So I just couldn't but think about that as we were, read, as we were meditating, as we were just singing his praise this morning. This is where we're headed. We're headed to a place. We're headed to the king's place where he's seated on the throne. And his, his kingdom is coming to earth. And we're, we're asking for it to come, right? That's why he taught us to pray. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. So if you don't know, we're in the series of Acts. We've got that awesome bumper that gets us super excited and jazz. I love that verse that we ended on. We're going to be talking about that verse this morning. In Acts 2, 21 through 41, um, if you're just, this is the first time you're here, we're going through a series in Acts. We're about four or five weeks in. Uh, welcome live stream, folks. Um, I, I encourage you, if you haven't been a part of the series, make sure you go back and just catch up. There's a couple of really good uh, sermons that have been preached. A lot of Holy Spirit just kind of working to stir our hearts. Uh, community group this, this last week was just on fire. Everybody was excited to see what God's been doing. And so hopefully you're experiencing some of the same. Um, and so I want us to open up our Bibles. Let's turn to the text. Um, as I was praying about this morning, I just thought of this, uh, this, you know how that Apple video feed like pops stuff up on your phone? It's like, hey, do you remember this day two years ago and you did this? And so I had this one video pop up. It was my kids. And so we lived in a house and I came down, I came up, down, down upstairs. We have like a split level, so you never know. Um, I came around the kitchen corner and uh, Izzy and Joe are sitting there and there's the box of Cheerios is like totally dumped on the floor, like the whole thing. Like it's, and they're sitting there like slowly just scooping the Cheerios back into the box. And, uh, and, and so... I'm just, I'm laughing because I think this is a hilarious scene. And so I'm like, hey, what, what happened? And Izzy's like, oh, I was getting the Cheerios down and I just threw it to Joe. And Joe's like, I don't know, like three years old, maybe four. He's not going to catch it. And, uh, and they just dumped out all over the floor, right? And so as a parent, you can have two reactions, right? You can be like really upset because your floor is covered in Cheerios dust. Or you can just laugh and break, break out your phone. And so I just break out my phone because I want to record what they have to say. And so I catch all this on film. And, uh, and I love it because they were just trying to put stuff back in the box, right? How often when we make a mess, we have a little accident, something happens, a circumstance that we can't control, maybe we can, we're in the wrong place, right spot, right? And we just want to try to scoop it back in, right? We just want to clean up our mess real quick, and we don't want, we won't want dad to see it, right? We don't, we don't want, and we just start taking that hurt and that pain, and we just kind of stuff it back in. And I think what I'm trying to say is that as stuff starts to bubble up this morning, let's not rush to put the lid on it and just stuff it back down. Because the Holy Spirit, the way he works is he brings stuff to mind. And sometimes it's not fun stuff. Like, like it's painful. There's messy moments that he'll bring to mind, whether it's conviction or whether it's a hurt or memory. And so my encouragement to us this morning is let's let, the, let's let the Holy Spirit work in our hearts this morning. Let's let him do the work, right? He's the one we're honoring this morning. He's the one we're coming to seek and spend time with. Is, is God three in one, right? And so let's let the Holy Spirit come and have his way this morning. So that would be my encouragement and exhortation to you this morning. So... Just pray this with me. I just want you to repeat after me. It's out of Ephesians 3, 17 and 18. I always like to pray this whenever I come to the Word because I want a spirit of wisdom and revelation. I want to see Jesus rightly. So just pray this with me. You can repeat after me. I'll give you some space. So, so Father of glory, please give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus this morning. Please enlighten our eyes to know the hope of your call, the riches of your inheritance, and the greatness of your power that's at work here today. 
Amen. Let's read the word, church. So we should have some words up here. And we're going to address, we're, just so you know where we're at context-wise, Peter has just preached the first half of his sermon, and then I get to preach the second half. So awesome, right? You guys excited? Okay. So we're going to be preaching Peter's sermon this morning. So do we have the text, uh, guys? If not, I'll just read it to you. It's about 19. Okay. So read with me, and uh, we'll try to keep in sync here. So men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God has sworn an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added to that day about 3,000 souls. Man, so I'm done. Like, we're done. That was, that was Peter. <laughs> Man, tell me that's not good. Let's stir your heart. Every time I read that. So I've been asking God for his heart for us this week. And there's three things that I really think the Father has for us this morning on the table. One, that we would know how much the Father loves us. The Father loves his children. He loves to give good gifts to his children. And he wants to demonstrate his love to us this morning. Two, that we would see the beauty of Jesus. That's what we sang about all morning this morning, that we would see how beautiful he is. 
And three, that we would open our hearts to him, right? There's a response. The father shows up. We have a chance, right, to see the beauty of Jesus. And then our hearts, they either open or close. And so my heart is that this morning, I believe the father's heart is that our hearts would open up. See, new wine requires new wineskins, guys. I don't know if you know this. This is according to Jesus. These are his words. And it seems to be pretty messy to try to proceed with putting the, the new stuff in the old packaging. And so let me tell you, this upper room contingency that's here gathered and Peter's preaching, they were filled with new wine, so much so that people thought they were drunk, right? They're coming up and like, what is going on here? You guys are talking in wild languages, languages you don't even know. You guys are acting crazy. And, uh, and they looked like they were drunk, right? But Peter jumps in, and he's empowered by the Spirit, and he starts just preaching. I would say this is just straight fire. Like, it, it, is, it is on fire, if, if anything. And he takes them back to Joel 2, and then he takes them to our text today. And so let's just remember who their audience is. Do you guys understand who the audience is here? It's devout Jews. It says in the, earlier in the text, it says these are devout Jews. So these are people that are serious about their faith. They've made a journey. Three times a year, the, the, the Israelites are required to come before the Lord in history. And so they're coming before the Lord. They're coming to offer a sacrifice, Passover, celebrate the Passover. Then you've got the Feast of First Fruits with Jesus. He rose on the day that started the Feast of First Fruits, right? He is the first fruits. He is the firstborn from among the dead. And so then they spend the next seven weeks celebrating the Feast of Weeks. And so here we are on Pentecost, 50 days later, and, and he's giving this revelation of Jesus Christ, the firstborn, the spotless lamb. And so this is the context of the people he's preaching to. They're used to coming and getting in right relationship with God by sacrificing an animal. Do you all understand that? Does that make sense? So we, if you don't, go back and read Leviticus. I know it's a little dry, but you'll see all that they had to do to be right with God. And so what's happening here is there's a paradigm shift happening. We're going from, this is how I become right before God in relationship with God by following these rules and, and offering a, a lamb in the right way, the firstborn lamb. I got to go see the priest. There's this whole procession that happens for you to be right before the Lord. And guess what's happening here? Jesus has been crucified, and he's now the spotless lamb who has become the eternal sacrifice. And that's what Peter's preaching about here. He's explaining to these devout Jews. And so this is how he starts his sermon. We just read it, but he's shattering this Old Testament paradigm, not in the sense that he's getting rid of it. He's saying it has been fulfilled. It has been completed. The perfect spotless lamb has been sacrificed. You no longer have to come and do this whole thing. You come and you come to Jesus because he's, he's made the way, right? He's made us, given us access to the Father, and we get to come, you don't know the verse, boldly before his throne now, right? Is that, do you all understand that? You're tracking with me? So that's what's happening here. He's talking to devout Jews, and this is what he says. He says, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth. He's a man attested to you by mighty works, signs that God did through him in your midst. You yourselves know this. You delivered him up. See, he's telling them that he is the promised Messiah, and you crucified him. Now, those are like fighting words, right? Like, I imagine somebody didn't pick up a rock and like throw it at Peter at that moment in time, but they didn't, thankfully. And, uh, and so they were looking out, though, for the promised Messiah. These devout Jews were looking for Jesus to come. They wanted somebody to come and save them. And so it's interesting, though, that he refers to him as Jesus of Nazareth. It's super interesting, right? Because, see, that's where Jesus' ministry began. Let me just take you back. John 1, 4, 6. Jesus is rounding up the crew, right? He's calling his disciples. He's like, hey, guys, come on. Follow me. Follow me, right? Nathaniel has this phrase that he utters when Philip comes to him and says, hey, we got to follow this guy. He's, he's the Messiah. And, and, and Nathaniel's like, has anything good ever come out of Nazareth? Like a Nazarite or a Nazarene would be like, like I mean, it's, it's, we'll just say it's a derogatory term, right? You're referring to someone. They're coming from a, 
a poor area of town, however you want to put it in your words, but essentially it's not a it's not an encouragement. It would be more of a like kind of like a curse, right? Like anything good ever come out of Nazareth? What's going on here? And uh, and so in this place, um, you would associate a person with low esteem, a Nazarite, right? And uh, and and we look at Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53, and what does it tell us about Jesus? What does it tell us about the coming Messiah? That he would be despised and rejected by men. He wasn't he wasn't going to be beautiful and awesome looking. And he would be scorned by mankind. And so this would ring a bell to those devout Jews. Jesus of Nazareth, right? They'd be thinking about some of those words that Isaiah preached. And then in Luke 4, 16, we see Jesus go into the desert. He returns from a 40-day fast, basically his seminar with the Father, right? We saw the, he brought the disciples into a 40-day period of teaching them about the kingdom. He, he comes into Nazareth. He opens the scroll. And do you, guys, do you guys remember what he says here? He says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is what? Upon me. And what is it upon him to do? What is the Holy, why is the Spirit of the Lord on him? He says to proclaim the good news to the poor. It's right here on the screen. To liberty to the captive, recovery of sight to the blind. Set at liberty those who are oppressed and proclaim the Lord's favor. That's what he does. He comes into Nazareth, and then it just erupts in there because he's saying, I am the fulfillment of this. And, and nobody like that. And they begin to throw, basically run him out of town. So he's run out of his own hometown. And when he's done, uh, they, they run him out of town, and he goes about his kingdom business. Because what do we see throughout the gospel, right? He demonstrates the authority and the power of the Holy Spirit on him through doing what? Signs and, say it with me, wonders, right? He's healing the sick. He's binding up the broken heart. He's casting out devils. Like, you all realize this still happens today. People still get set free from, from demons. People still get set free from broken woundedness in their hearts. I hope that's why we're here this morning, because I need to be set free. We need to be set free as a community more and more so that we can continue the work that God is doing, right? Because he's, the Spirit comes upon us as well, and we're going to see that here, that he pours out his Spirit. And so he's the promised Messiah who was crucified, but he is also the promised Messiah who is alive. And that's what we see here. God raised him up. He loosed the pains of death because it was not possible. It was impossible for death to hold Jesus in the grave. You all realize that, right? The created God, the one who created life, it was impossible for him to be in the grave. And so David says this about Jesus. He, said, he says it in Psalm 16. He says, I saw the Lord always before me, for he's at my right hand, that I might not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad. My tongue rejoiced. My flesh will also dwell in hope. There's beautiful hope here, right? For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me that path of life. From the beginning, Jesus knew what the path was. He knew where he was going to end his path, and he knew what was going to happen after he died. He was going to be resurrected. He knew the plan. And you will make me full of gladness with your presence. Because where does Jesus go immediately after the 40 days with the disciples and on the earth in his resurrection? Where does he go? Right to the throne, right? He goes to the throne room, the right hand of the Father. That's where he knows where he's going. He's going to have to go through some dark stuff to get there. But he knows that he will be delivered, right? And so he moves into quoting David. This is Peter now. And who's going to argue with David, right? Like David's, he wrote a bunch of Psalms. He's like, he's like the king. Like his tomb is down the street, guys. Like he's like, everybody knows David. And who's going to argue with David? And despite all of his sins and his misgivings, when we look at David, we're like, yeah, he was, he was pretty boss. I mean, my wife said it this morning, right? I mean, even my son at age three is like, this David, he knew who his Lord was. He slew a giant like he was tiny and small. And, uh, and I think this is cool because Psalm 16 is titled, You Will Not Abandon My Soul. 
you will not abandon my soul. And I think David was onto something, right? He was the youngest of all the kids. His dad forgot about him, literally. Samuel's like showing up. I got to anoint a king. Dude goes down the line. This, nope, not this guy, not this guy, not this guy. Gets down like seven people. And he's like, look, do you have any other kids? And Jesse's like, yeah. Um, oh, yeah, David. I've got David. His dad literally forgot about him. We, we swapped some stories yesterday about moments where we've forgotten our children. Um, others have forgotten their children. It happens, okay? When you have, when you have more than one or two kids, it happens, okay? So there's grace, okay? God loves us, and he does not abandon our soul. And, and I think that's important to understand here is David's writing from a place of, I guarantee you, he struggled with abandonment, right? He's in the field by himself taking care of the sheep. I've struggled with abandonment before. And I guarantee you there's other of us in here, whether we had good dads, not good dads, whatever the situation was, there are moments in time where the enemy wants to come in and make us feel abandoned and without a father, without a dad who loves us. I know it because I've experienced it as well. I had an awesome dad. And I still, the enemy still planted seeds at a young age. And he's been healing me of it in a very powerful way. And so this is important for Jesus, right? Because we know that when Jesus was on the cross, he, he, says to, he says to his brother to take care of his mom, right? So his dad wasn't in the picture anymore. I don't, we don't know when Jesus' dad died, but he wasn't in the picture anymore. And so we know Jesus probably even felt some of that at some point too, right? And then he's on the cross, and his father has to turn his face away. From his son, he has to. He cannot look on sin. God is holy, and he is perfect, and he will not look on sin. And Jesus has taken all that on. And this is what Peter says. He says, he quotes David. And David had, he was on to this truth. You will not abandon my soul. The father is here this morning. He does not abandon his children. And we see it demonstrated through his son, Jesus. He gave his most precious, prized possession so that he could be with his kids he wants to be with us this morning. So write it down. The Father does not abandon your soul. He is a good Father. He doesn't abandon His children. He doesn't renege on His promises. There have been moments, right, where you've made a promise as a parent, and you, you blew it. I've done it. I'm guilty. I've had to go to my children and repent. But God doesn't. When He makes a promise, when He makes a covenant, He brings it to fulfillment. He doesn't let that thing lie there. So Jesus, he sees the Lord before him, and, and then Peter continues to unpack this previous bit in 16. He says, brothers, I say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried. His tomb is with us to the day. Look down the street, guys. David, his tomb's there. He's buried. He's dead. He's done. Being therefore a prophet, though, he's talking about David, he knows that God swore an oath to him, that he would set one of his descendants on the throne. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he would not be abandoned to Hades nor his flesh to seek corruption. See, David's tomb's right down the street, and yet David talked about, guys, let me just ask you this. He's, he's talking to these Jews. He's pointing down the street to David's tomb, and then I feel like Peter's just like, hey, guys, have you seen Jesus' tomb? Like, have you seen Jesus' tomb? Like, there's nobody in it. It's empty. Like, the stone is rolled away. David's tomb's down the street. Jesus' tomb is empty. Like, there's no body in there anymore. Like, it, it rose. He's ascended to the Father. And then he says, you know that throne that David spoke about in Psalm 16 and in Psalm 110? You know that throne that he talked about? Guess who's on it? David's descendant, right? Jesus was a direct descendant from David. And he says, guess who's on the throne? Jesus. Jesus is on the throne. His tomb is empty, and he is on the throne. And he's established that covenant 
in 2 Samuel 7 and in 1 Chronicles 17, God comes to David and he makes a covenant. And he says to him, you will always have someone on your throne. And now if we look at David down the generations, right, there's, there's a lot of brokenness that happens in his family. Jesus fulfills that covenant. God fulfills his promises through himself. I just kind of shake my head at that moment. Shake your heads with me. I mean, that's just, that, that blows my mind. And so as he continues on, he says, God raised him up, right, to the right hand of the Father. We know where he's seated. He's seated on the throne, the right hand of the Father. He has all authority. Of this we were witnesses, so hundreds of them have seen Jesus, being therefore exalted to the right hand of the God, and he receives from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, and he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. So track with me. Take a deep breath. Just track with me here. So there are many that see are seeing the point, right? David's dead, but this man Jesus is not. We have hundreds of eyewitnesses here, right? So you're tracking with me? It gets better because now he's on the throne receiving from the Father what was promised to him. He was promised the Holy Spirit. We see it in John 14 and 16. We're going to unpack those in just a second here. But let's check this out. Who is the Holy Spirit? Do you guys know who the Holy Spirit is? This is not a trick question. Feels like one, right? Because you're like, well, do I know? Do I really know? Um, in John 14, 7 through 18, 17 through 18, those verses will jump up there on the screen for us. He is the helper. He's God dwelling in us. And he is the spirit of sonship. That's what we see in scripture. Who is the Holy Spirit? He is the helper, is what Jesus says. He is dwelling in us. We read it earlier, right? That last verse on the screen of that bumper says John 14. He is the helper. He is dwelling in us, and he is the spirit of sonship. So here we see, you will not abandon my soul, and then we get adopted, and we get a spirit of sonship. And that is important because that is the first thing that the enemy loves to attack is our identity. He loves to attack our identity. We are not his kids. We don't belong. You're left out. You're forgotten. That's what the enemy wants us to think from day one. And this is what we get in Christ. We get the Holy Spirit, the helper, coming to remind us of Jesus' words, God dwelling in us now. See, when the Israelites were out of Egypt, they went to Mount Sinai, and God came down, and it was thunderous and scary. And they were like, whoa, kind of just backing up from the mountain, right? Moses went up. He gets the law. He comes back down to them. And God wanted to dwell with his people, but there wasn't a way to do it safely without incinerating them. Do you all understand that? Like, the presence of God is holy and perfect, and, and we can't step into it without a mediator. We can't step into it without a way, and that's what Jesus does here. And then he goes to the Father, and so what does the Holy Spirit do? He convicts. So that should be up on the screen as well. So who is he? He's the helper, God dwelling us, the spirit of sonship. And then what does he do? He convicts the world, it says in John 16, concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Jesus said, but if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will no longer see me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. He judged the enemy. Like, it's, it's done. He took the, the keys of death and Hades. And then he went to the disciples. He said, here's the keys of the kingdom. The gates of hell will not prevail against this revelation that Christ is the son of the living God. I put my stake in the ground. Here's the keys of the kingdom. Go do what I did, right? 
set the captives free, bring deliverance, right? Bind up the brokenhearted. He commissions us to go and bring the kingdom, and that's what the kingdom is. From day one, that's what Jesus said. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's dwelling in us to do what? To set captives free from negative thoughts and emotions, from demonic forces that have bound us up. So look, if you take away anything today, it's that God loves us deeply, and he wants us to be in his family, walking like him, not just in the family. He wants us to be walking like him. Oftentimes what happens is we get saved, we come to Jesus, and then boom, enemy puts us in captivity. Mind, will, emotions, trauma happens early, whatever it is, right? Because if the enemy can't keep us from getting into the kingdom, he's sure going to try to keep us from being effective in the kingdom. Like prisoners of war is a real thing in war, right? Like there's actual prison POW camps, right? There's like even like bumper stickers, right, of people who are in a prison of war. Why would it be any different in the kingdom of God? But we're on the battlefield, right? And the moment we get on the battlefield, we get captured, whether it's abandonment, right? Just like we see here. Our soul, the enemy is after it. And so Jesus commissions us. He brings us into his family, but then he wants us to walk like he did, right? He wants us to imitate. We're imitators of Christ. We're going to follow in Jesus' footsteps. And that's why he pours out his spirit on his people. And then he invites them, right? Come to me, all who are thirsty, who have no money. Come buy, come eat, come drink. Come to me when you're weary and heavy laden. Learn from me because I'm going to fulfill Isaiah 61 and its fullness through you. See, there's another half to Isaiah 61. I'd encourage you, go look up Isaiah 61. There's another half of it. There's another half portion. Jesus stopped at the year of the Lord's favor for a reason. And he's going to fulfill the whole thing. And he's going to do it through his church and with his church. That's the beauty of it. He closes people with garments of prayer. There's a lot of good stuff in there. I would encourage you, go, go dig into that. And so he arrives at the Father's throne room. He gets the promise of the Holy Spirit, and he receives it. And guess what Jesus does? This is what I love about this text. What does Jesus do when he receives the promised Holy Spirit from the Father? What's the first thing he does? It's right there in the text, right? He pours it out. He just laid down his life. He just poured out his blood and his body for his bride so that he could be and dwell in his bride. And then what does he do? He gets the gift that was promised to him, and he pours it out on his children again. Actually, at this point, he's pouring it out on his brothers and sisters. You guys realize that, right? We're brothers with Christ. Like, he's our big brother, and he calls us co-heirs with him. We get to be brothers with Christ. Like, that's accurate. It's in the Bible. And what he does is he pours it out on us. He pours out the Holy Spirit on us. Whew! The God portion. And the gift of the Holy Spirit takes up residence in us like it did on him. Right? He's not going to call us to do what he did and not give us the same tools and power. Come on. Come on. So in even greater measure. So let's just, let's just I, I just like, I got to sit here for a minute, right? Because the first place he goes is he pours out his spirit on his brothers and sisters, on his disciples. And church, this struck me deeply this week. To see Jesus rightly, we got to see that he loves his family. He loves his disciples. He loves his newly bought brothers and sisters, and he's inviting us to do what he did. So when he received the gift of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling, the experiences, the manifestation of the gifts that come with walking with the Holy Spirit, it's so that we can pour it back on to others. So Jesus pours onto us so that we can then pour onto others. And if we're a broken, leaky vessel, that's not healed up and, and, and ready to be in the game, then, then we're not, we're not going to be as effective 
right, at pouring back onto others. And the Lord con- convicted me this week because he pours it back directly on his disciples first. He said, go and wait for me. And the, those who were closest to him, his family, he poured it back onto them. And so as a dad with a couple kids, as a husband with a wife that I love, the first place when I get filled up with the Holy Spirit needs to be to my family, to my wife, to my children. They're the ones who need to get what God pours into me. And likewise, Abigail gets filled up with the Holy Spirit. We're ministering to each other first. That's where it starts. Because see, in the beginning, God designed family, a man and a woman. And he created family. He loves family. He invited us into his family. And so my exhortation and encouragement to you this morning is, as you're receiving from the Holy Spirit, the place we go first is to our families, to our wives, to our husbands, to our children. we got to start there, and then it flows out from there, right? You with me? So hopefully that encouraged your heart like it did mine. This last bit here. Y'all hanging with me? How we doing? Are we feeling good? Okay. Okay. Holy Spirit's in the house, so have your way. David did not ascend to the heavens, he continues, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know that certain God has made him both Lord and Christ who you crucified, whom you crucified. He comes full circle, right? He is Messiah and his blood is on you. So he started off, you guys are the ones who crucified him and then he comes back to it. He's just got to remind them, like you guys realize you're the one. And, and do you remember that verse? It just came to me, Matthew 27, 25. When the Pharisees say, let his blood be on our heads, right? Let his blood be on us is what they say. They're accepting, right? And, and church, we've got to see that our sin is what put him there. We can't shy away from that. We have to see that it's our sin. Let his blood be on our heads and the heads of our children, right? We, we're the children of sin. Our sin is what put him on the cross. And we have to see our sin as putting him on the cross or else we're not seeing ourselves rightly. We're, we're deluded. We're deceived. So let me ask you this, church. When was the last time a reflection on the finished work of the cross moved your heart in a way where you saw your sin as putting him there? And I don't say this because I want to encourage you to have some emotional experience or, or whatever, but, 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 but God is emotional, right? Like he, we see his passion. We see his zeal. We see his hunger for his people. We see that God is a God who has emotions, right? He created us with a soul. I will not abandon your soul. Your soul is the makeup of your mind, your desires, your will, and your emotions. That's who we are. That's who God is. And so when was the last time that you sat before him looking at the cross and were moved inwardly in some way? I would just encourage you, let's make that a regular practice. We're going to break, we're going to have communion today. And I was coaching my kids on communion because you just never know. They need a little coaching, right? A little encouragement. So when we take communion, I just, I've kind of established that when I'm drinking the blood of Jesus and breaking his body, I want to take a moment before I do that and say, Holy Spirit, is there anything in me? Is there any sin in me that you have that you would want to convict me of? Because that's what the Holy Spirit does, right? We saw who he is, and his work is to convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And we're not going to pack that today because it's a whole other sermon, but let's sit before the Lord today when we take communion and ask him, Holy Spirit, is there anything you want to do in my heart? Because sometimes, you know what, church, just to be honest with you, sometimes my heart gets calloused. It gets a little hard. It gets a little comfortable, if you will. Whether it's experiences, right, or what the world's teaching me or preaching at me, whether it's hurts and wounds or just stuff that I've continued to stuff down, we all do it, whether we are going to admit to it or not. Holy Spirit, right, show up. And so we all have a tendency to turn off the spigot at some point. 
and, and quench what the Spirit would like to do in our hearts. I think that's kind of what quenching the Spirit looks like is when we're unwilling to allow him to do the work that he does. That's the work he does. That's his job, right? And so I just, sometimes I don't, like on a mission level, I just feel dry and dusty and like a desert. And so we do this many ways. This happens through a steady stream of the wrong diet, right? You put the wrong things in and, and stuff just starts to cover the heart. And so the beautiful thing is, is there's no heart that's too hard for the Holy Spirit to work on, including mine. Because it's not, <laughs> I'm not responsible for my wife's heart or my kid's hearts. Jesus is. He will convict them. He will come to them. I'm, I'm responsible to lead them to him, responsible to encourage us, right? I'm responsible to preach the word faithfully to you all this morning. But I'm, at the end of the day, your heart is between you and the Lord, and the Holy Spirit wants to come. And that's why I said this morning, I said, you know, he wants to reveal to us he's a good father. He wants us to see the beauty of Jesus' sacrifice, and he wants us to open up our hearts to him this morning. And this is what we see here, right? Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And Peter said to the rest of the disciples, and they said to Peter and the rest of the disciples, brother, what do we do? Don't you just love this, the honesty there? What do we do? What do we do? So what do we do? Our hearts are convicted. What do we do? And Peter says, he just gives them the gospel, right? He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. See, it's not just repent and be baptized, just repent of your sins. It's, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. So as we repent and as we ask for forgiveness of our sin to the only one that we stand accountable before, we begin to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It is a gift. It is a beautiful gift. It says in James that, that, that God, he's the father of lights. He is the creator, and every good gift comes from him. So there's three things here as we kind of wrap up and, and dive into breaking bread together this morning. Worship team, you can come on up if you want to, and uh, we'll just kind of enter into um, presence here. But there's three things, and hopefully they're up on the board. If they're not, I'm just going to read them to you. You can write them down, meditate on whatever. So three things we see here are that this is available for everyone. He says it in the text, right? For the promise is for you, for your children, for all who are far off, and everyone whom the Lord calls to himself. And then with many other words, he witnessed and continued to exhort them. So the, the beautiful thing is, is the gift of the Holy Spirit is for everyone. There's, there's no, right, all the kids that come to Jesus, as we come to him and repent, as we run from our sins, as we turn the opposite direction, as we confess and ask for forgiveness, the gift of the Holy Spirit is for all of us. That includes our kids. You understand that, right? Like kids, our, our children, our little ones. And so I, I would encourage you this morning, just let's not keep them from it either. Let's, let's not keep ourselves from it. Let's let our hearts be convicted and soft to the Holy Spirit, but let's also invite our children into it as well. I'll tell you what, when a little nine-year-old, a little seven-year-old gets, gets, gets encouragement, exhortation, prophetic word from the Lord, a dream, a vision, my, my son, he has the craziest dreams, and so often they're prophetic. He had one the other morning, and it was about just about his brother. And they were in the yard, and there's, we've had snakes recently, and so maybe that was part of it, but one of them bit him, and so I said, Joe, what do you think, what do you think, what's going on here? He said, you know what, let's pray for your brother, right? The Lord speaks to our children so that they can encourage and exhort and edify each other. So this Holy Spirit that's moving, he's going to move on our kids too. Young, 
old. There's no, the only requirement is, is repent. Ask for the forgiveness of your sins. Repentance looks like this. It looks like running the other way. That's why Peter says here, and I, I imagine he was shouting it, right? Save yourselves from this crooked and perverse generation because it takes effort and energy to run the opposite direction. It takes the Holy Spirit power to fight the current going the opposite direction. You guys realize the current is, is not, the path is narrow. The current is not going our direction. And so to go the opposite direction, to be like that, that trout, right, that sh swims up the stream, it takes Holy Spirit power. And that's why he says, save yourselves. Run to Jesus, the Messiah. Because he was crucified, and then he's alive. And I think the most heartbreaking part of this and challenging part of this is there are those. Yes, there's 3,000 that come to the Lord, but there were many more who did not receive the word of the Lord. There are those who won't receive the word of the Lord. But that doesn't stop us from preaching the word of the Lord. It doesn't stop us from running. There are those who will not come and drink but I don't know who they are. And so I'm not going to stop short of someone who may need to come and drink. So this morning, I just encourage you, let's just, let's just close our eyes and bow our heads. I just want just to open up the invitation this morning. We're just going to invite, if you've never received Christ, and you feel like he's knocking at the door, then I want you to just repeat after me. We're just going to pray a prayer of salvation. What this means is we're just repenting before the Lord. So if there's someone here this morning that has not received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, confess with their mouth, believes in their heart, just join with me and let's pray this prayer. We can pray it all together, but I want you to have an opportunity to accept Jesus Christ this morning. So if that's you, just join me. Saying, Jesus... I need you. My need for you is deep. And would you come and save me this morning? I confess your lordship with my mouth that you are Lord and that I need you. Would you come and save me this morning? In Jesus' name.